everybody and welcome to another one in our long-running series of financial well-being podcasts. My name is uh, David Lloyd and I'm the sap that doesn't really know anything about money and asks all the naive questions. But fortunately, I have two people with me here today who know all of the answers. The first one is the guy that wrote the financial well-being book on which this series of podcasts is based. Chris Budd, who are you? Who are you? I'm a uh... Well, you just said who I am, so I guess that's it, really. What else am I? Do you know what? I think this week I'll I'll, I'll say I'm a musician. I always remember somebody calling me a musician. Like, what are you talking about? Well, you play the guitar. Well, yeah. Well, then you're a musician. Oh, I suppose I am. But I had one of the most best well-being moments of my life recently because a band called BLT, a covers band locally, I think probably, David, you've seen them. You would have seen them at uh, my wife's birthday. They were short a drummer, and my son's a really, really good drummer. So they asked him if he would drum. But the gig was in Sulcombe, which is about a two and a half hour drive away. So they realised to get him to drum, they were going to need to ask me to play guitar as well. <laughs> so they did. And so we had a little adventure of going down to the West Country or further down to the West Country, playing a gig um, with my son on drums and me on guitar and the rest of it. And it was just the most fun. It was brilliant. So, yeah, that's a well-being tip from me. Do things like music with your kids. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, that's lovely. Tom Morris. I think your kids are a little bit young to be jamming in bands, aren't they? <laughs> That's the same with the maracas or shakers. That they just sort of randomly move around and bang drums and pans and pots and all that sort of thing. Yeah, not quite at that level, but but still plenty of, of joy, but just in different ways. Um, I, I'm going to do my introduction that I do, which is my shameless plug of the organisations that I want to promote, if that's all right with you, David. Go ahead. Well, there's Ovation Finance. Uh, I'm a director and financial planner over there. Come and have a chat if you want to, um, yeah, talk about more of the things that that we talk about in this podcast and, and maybe even your own financial planning needs. Um, also, the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing uh, is something myself and, and Chris are, are directors at. And yeah, if you're in the financial services profession, go check it out. Got a great membership, lots of discussions around the idea of financial wellbeing and how we uh, implement it. It's being had to, yeah, go and check those two organisations out. Excellent. Thanks very much, gents. Chris, what are we talking about today? Today, David, we are going to look at what is meant by self-worth and what might be the relationship between our self-worth and our net worth. Hmm. Now, I've heard this expression before, have I not? You have, David. It was an expression we first heard from Mark Bristow, a money coach who we heard Chris interview in podcast episode 60. Yes, he's the he's the guy who told that amazing story about how being lost in a department store led to him having a bad relationship with money. Is that right? That's the one. That's the one. Although I should just stress being lost in a department store when he was a small child, not <laughs> not recently. Not like Father Ted. <laughs> oh, that's a blast in the past. Um, I also came across this concept of internal and external self-worth from a book I read recently that I want to tell you about. So I thought it'd be interesting to explore this idea of self-worth a little. I look forward to this joint exploration. But before we do that, the first of our two regular features, uh, the first one being No Shizzle Sherlock, in which we listen to the words of wisdom from a financial or investment guru and wonder whether this is indeed insightful and meaningful advice or whether it's coming from the land of the bleeding obvious. So, Chris, what's today's motivational phrase that you have for us today? <laughs> this guy, I'm looking forward to the different ways you're going to say that every episode, David. <laughs> this comes from um, the world's richest man. 
well, at the, at the time of writing, he was anyway. Um, so we'd better tread carefully because it's Jeff Bezos and he's done all right for himself, hasn't he? So who are we to criticise? Um, his uh, investment tip is given a 10% chance of a 100 times payoff, you should take that bet every time. Okay, so 10% chance, 100%. Oh, I, I, I'm not, as you know, the most mathematically minded person. I think I need a moment to think about that one. Tomo, you're my financial advisor. Help me out here. Yeah, I'll try my best. I'll scratch my head a little bit. Um, well, first of all, as usual with these investments, it depends on your situation. Let's say you have £1,000 to invest, and that's the only spare money you have. You put the whole thousand pounds into a high risk investment where there is a 90% chance you'll lose your money. Then, no, that's terrible advice. If, however, like Jeff, you have loads of money and can make a series of investments that's different. So, let's say you have 10,000 pounds and you want to make 10 investments of a thousand pounds, there's a 10% chance of success. So, nine of your investments will fail, but one will increase by hundred times so it will go up go up to a hundred thousand so yeah be very careful make sure you've got some money to uh to, to, yeah to yeah lose. I, not being quite as rich as jeff bezos i'm not sure i like those odds if i'm honest so but, but what if that tenth investment doesn't work either what exactly if that doesn't work then you're left with nothing. So therefore you need to be able to afford to lose everything, which Jeff Bezos or, or everything you've invested, which Jeff Bezos can. Um, but yeah, it, uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it's not so much of a notion of Sherlock. It's more of a, well, that's fine. If you could afford to lose everything. Well, exactly. Like, like so much of the advice you hear from wealthy investors, it ignores the circumstances of the person making the investment. Um, there is no doubt the more you diversify your investments, you're going to have winners and losers. Um, certainly, I think the type of investing he's talking about is very speculative investing, where it could really blow up well. But it's, it's diversification and being able to afford to see that money drop in value or in that high risk environment go completely. Yeah, well, we talk a lot on this podcast, don't we, about know thyself. And I think this is a, a really great example of that. Be aware of what it is you're taking on. Uh, and I, I, I'm start. just going to just going to wade in slightly as well here, which uh, I'm going to be honest with you, that sort of investment tip from someone like Jess Bezos really annoys me because he has made obviously stupid amounts of money. There's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that took the same level of risk that he did that didn't make that lots of money. Um, so well done, Jeff. Good on you. But don't go telling everybody else to do what you did because you got a bit lucky, worked hard, etc. Um, that's not a good tip for me. Mm. Excellent. OK, let's put that one to bed. Let's move on then to the next one. Titus Tomo, every so often I need to remind you the providence of this particular feature. It all started when Tom and a former colleague, Ian and Chris, all went out to lunch. Tomo said, don't worry, guys, this one's on me. I'll pay. And he steered them towards a particular item on the menu. As it turned out, he had a voucher for that, which meant he got it for free. Now, there's <laughs> never been any question whatsoever that this wasn't a great lunch. But it also is a prime example of why this man is somebody who needs to be listened to when it comes to being mean. But before we come on to him, Chris, what have you got for us? 
Well, the thing about this, Titus Tomo, is that Tomo now has a reputation far and wide throughout our industry. <laughs> and if you go to conferences, and I've seen that happen, you say, hi, I'm Tom Morris. Oh, you're Titus Tomo. It's great. I love it. <laughs> um, and so uh, some of our friends uh, happily give us tips whenever they, when they see us. And one is from a fellow financial advisor called Dan Gaylor. And he says that he and a mate used to go to Ibiza every year, which obviously going clubbing. Um, before going, they would email all the top clubs saying that they were journalists reviewing the summer club scene. They would include a link to their website, which they just kind of made up. Um, but it always was just a page with an under maintenance message. It would usually be enough to get them into all the clubs free of charge and on the guest list as well. <laughs> that is absolute genius. I must confess, I know Dan, and I and I and I had heard this story before, and it gets me every time. <laughs> just, I just have an image, though, of like, Kevin and Perry go large if you watch the film. <laughs> um, sorry, Dan, but great tip. Yeah, Tomo, can you top that? <laughs> no. <laughs> can you bottom it? Okay, no. I, um, this one, this one is from the real producer, the superstar behind the scenes, Tammy. Um, she she's she's come up with a few um but but i'm gonna pick one i'm gonna pick one for the ladies today or or men or you know if you wear makeup it's fine um is it always cut off the top of cosmetic tubes when you think you're at the end of the product there will be a ton left that you can still scoop out well i just like to amplify on that i think that's a great tip same applies for wine boxes if you put your box in a wine box and you're pressing the top of the tap and then you realise it's all gone, cut cut the corner of the wine box. There's always another glass of wine in there. And is that like, you know, when you tip the crisp packet at the end to get all the crumbs out? Uh, this could work. This could work for so many. Toothpaste? Yeah, true. You know, when toothpaste you're really well. struggling to get the last bit, cut it open and like, sort of scrape your uh, your toothbrush into the toothpaste. Oh, opened up... Um, tube yeah there you go and we must me, have, great work we must have all at some point in time squeezed together the last bits of soap to make one new bar well, absolutely <laughs> and indeed there's another tip that i can't even share with you on this podcast that i'll perhaps tell you guys <laughs> afterwards oh no i, I want to know now go no, that i used that i used to do as a younger man no it's illegal i can't tell you <laughs> <laughs> so moving swiftly on chris why don't you introduce our subject for today Okay, so um, I'd like to have a chat about self-worth. Okay, now on the face of it, that doesn't sound like it's especially linked with money. Doesn't self-worth come from things like believing in yourself and getting appreciation from other people? Well, that's kind of the point. Uh, they are, of course, indeed sources of self-worth. But if your sense of self-worth comes mainly from others, then it can be taken away. Now, um, I got this from the most amazing book I've ever read. Uh, there's two books I would say have changed my life. One is called The Long Walk by Slavomir Ravitch, which I read in my 20s and led me to leave a particularly depressing job and start my own business. Um, the other one I've just re read recently, which is by the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And it's uh, kind of not quite transcript, but it's all about a conversation that the two of them had for a week about what is joy called The Book of Joy. Absolutely fantastic and just completely knocked me for six in a number of different ways. One of the things that Dalai Lama talks about in that book is that self-worth comes from internal and external sources. So an example of an internal source of self-worth might be uh, how well we do things that we deem to be valuable. 
It comes from having a role to play in life, um, one that has a connection to others and is, again, aligned with your own values. It's about being valued or feeling valued just for being you. Oh, great. So it's about um, building confidence in a way, isn't it? Now, I'm, I'm thinking of my uh, time cricket coaching, which I still do a bit of, but not so much these days. You see kids who come along to their first practice session unconfident, uh, unsure of themselves, perhaps standing to the side a bit. You give them a chance to do something like just catch a ball or to bat. Uh, and they realise that actually they can do something they didn't know that they can do. And you can almost see them grow in stature and, and start to get more confident in their interaction with their mates. And actually just to develop that a little bit further, an amazing thing happened to me last week. I'm part of a WhatsApp group of, of Bristol City football supporters. And all of a sudden, this guy just suddenly popped up and went, David Lloyd, you're a ledge. And I went, oh, what's this all about? Now, back in the early 1990s at the previous club that I used to belong to, I used to do some coaching with their kids there. And he said, I was fielding one day uh, out near the boundary. And you said, no, you're standing in the wrong place. You need to move 20 yards further in. And so I did. And the very next ball... The guy hit the ball to me and I caught it. And my teammates thought I was fantastic. <laughs> and and he'd never forgotten that. I didn't remember it at all. Uh, but obviously, there was something about the advice that I gave him that had still meant an awful lot to him, that had also really, you know, increased his self-worth and his belief in himself. So so that Brilliant. was a really, really good little thing. What a lovely example. It's a really important aspect of self-worth, David, making sure that you give people the chance to succeed so that their self-worth can increase. I think it's worth us thinking about every, all, our, all our different areas of life, particularly to have children. It's very easy to tell them what not to do, but it's also really important to say well done when they've done something good. Um, I remember uh, one tip somebody gave about, about having little kids um, when they're making a lot of mess in the, in the bathroom. Rather than saying, stop making a mess, you say, how could you keep the water in the bath? And it's just a different way of putting the same thing that is more likely to give them a chance to succeed, to do something well, rather than a chance to fail. So it's a great tip for how to increase a sense of self-worth in others, for giving them opportunities to succeed. Um, I'm sure we all know people who have low self-esteem, and yet we think that they're awesome. So I'd like to quote a lyric from um, the most fabulous local band, except they're not local, they're international now, but they came from Bristol, punk band called Idols who are very straight talking on this particular point. And there's a fantastic line from or verse from one of their songs, which is, if someone talked to you the way that you do to you, I'd put their teeth through. Love yourself. Yeah, loving yourself is very important. We are not, of course, advocating violence on the <laughs> podcast. We're not suggesting that you put anybody's teeth through, particularly your own. But I think that's very, tr very, very true. That, that, that feeling of self-worth and, and how it makes us feel. And I'm looking forward very much as to how you're going to take that essentially strong psychological point and relate it to money, Chris. Well, yeah, it's not a psychology pod podcast. We're not putting ourselves out as counsellors. But what really got me onto this was this, this, this book. And there's a particularly a couple of passages from the Dalai Lama because um, we're talking about internal sources of self-worth, but this isn't the only source of self-worth. It also comes from external sources. This could be applause or recognition or status or wealth. It could be from your job, from social media connections, physical appearance, passing exams, how fast you ride a bike, how many friends you have. These are all external sources of self-worth. 
Yeah, so I get that. They're all examples of external sources, but but it would give one a feeling of pride, uh, I guess, to pass an exam. It feels good to wear nice clothes, drive a nice car. It does, but let's just take that example of the car. The question is whether the pride comes from within, from just enjoying the nice car for its own sake, or from without, because you like people seeing you in that car. And this is really important because, this is a key point Dalai Lama makes, because internal sources of pride can't be taken away. External sources, however, can. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to um, process this, because in one area of pride, and I was having a conversation recently with some friends, for me, um, certainly kicked in when I became a father, is this ability to provide for my family. And, and what they have and the security, et cetera. And I get a lot of pride from that. And is that internal or is it external? I, is it blurred? Because I, I would say that, that that's what drives a lot of what I do. And I think a lot of parents will probably yeah, um, I, appreciate I, the comment I'm making there. I would say that's very much internal. It can't be taken away, can it? Somebody can't come along and take it away from you. That's, that's pride no, that you that's have. Fine. So yes, very much that's an internal source of pride. Absolutely. Um, I want to illustrate this by way of a story about my father. I was going to try and get through this, were they? Right, chaps. Take your time. Take yeah, your time. I will. I'll get through it. But uh, I just thought I was going to go halfway through, not the very beginning. <laughs> so I'd like to illustrate this, this point by way of a story about my father. Now, my dad came from very humble beginnings. His father was a road sweeper and he did pretty well in life and he made a bit of money. I had a little business um, and he used that money to buy a lot of the trappings that you might think of. So, for example, I remember we were the only kids on our block with a soda stream, uh, which was quite a big deal at the time. He also bought himself a Jaguar car, secondhand, but still he had a Jag um, and a Bang & Olsen stereo. And if I'm honest, he probably showed off a little bit. Um, but that gave him pride. Now, unfortunately, in the early 90s, recession hit and he went bankrupt and he lost everything. House, car, soda stream literally everything. And he was never the same man again. And when I read this from the Dalai Lama in this book, it hit me absolutely like a hammer, because I realised what had happened to my dad is that he had lost his external pride. His sense of self-worth was external, not internal, and therefore it could be taken away. And so when I read that, it just suddenly helped me understand my father. Yeah, I can see that's really moved you, Chris. And, and, and I, I think Clearly, as we get older, I think we come to a, a different understandings of how our dad tick. I, I certainly never really appreciated my dad until I became a dad myself, because it was only then I appreciated all the sacrifices that, that he perhaps made for me. But I think the essential point you make there is absolutely right. We can buy all the possessions that we like. I'm reminded of a story, OK? So I did... Um, it's like an Outward Bound course. It was about 30 years ago, actually. And it was a mixture of adventure. So we did rock climbing and potholing and raft building. But built into the course, there were also moments of self-reflection as well. And, 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 and it was a really interesting, fantastic weekend. Uh, one of the guys uh, on the course, uh, I can't remember his name, but I wouldn't share it with you anyway. Um, <laughs> one of the things we had to do when we got there, it was in North Wales. We drove all the way up to Snowdonia. And we were given some ideas about what we were expected to do, but but actually not that much. So we got there. We arrived there at 10 o'clock at night thinking, OK, we're all going to go to bed now. And then the first thing they said is, right, you're going to go on a night walk now. You know, and uh, you're just going to walk in the dark and there will be signposts along the way. You will. Don't worry, you won't get lost. 
there's a moment where it gets very dark and there'll be a rope for you to follow. Uh, and you're going to take it in turns with like 10 minute gaps between you and you're going to be on your own. And while you're on this walk, you're going to experience certain things. You're going to meet certain people and certain things will happen to you. So we're going literally into the dark and into the unknown. And we all drew lots to see who was going to go first and who was going to go last. And I, I was last. I was the last person to go. And I'm with this other guy. OK, so we're waiting to go. Now, he'd come along with all of the kit. He knew that there's going to be outward bound stuff. So he brought ropes. He brought a helmet. He brought a head torch. He brought crampons. He brought absolutely everything that he thought he might need for this weekend. But what he hadn't brought was any sense of inner strength or belief that he could do this. So while we're waiting for me to go and, you know, and obviously waiting for him to go because he was going before me, you know, we're having a chat. And I realised that he was absolutely terrified about what he was going to have to do because he was just going to have to go into the unknown despite the fact that he brought all the kit and the amount of torches and, and ice axes and everything that he had, they, they were all external things. And what he didn't have inside himself was the belief in himself that everything was going to be all right. And that, for me, was a very striking thing. I brought nothing with me at all. I think I had a warm coat and that was about it. However, I'm a bit of a cocky sod, so I just thought, I'm going to be all right. So I had my, you know internal belief that things were going to get me through that he didn't have that i mean he did by the end of the weekend actually it was a really interesting weekend so yes yeah, so that's my little story about the difference between external trappings and actually internal self-worth and really believing in yourself um wow how can you beat those two stories um yeah thanks chris for sharing that i i obviously know known you for a number of years and i know that that would have been difficult to do so thank you um External trappings, I, if I try and relate it to financial for a moment, um, I often have the conversations with clients, or certainly clients who've come to us, maybe have come into some money or, or think about the retirement, and it's this idea of, there's nothing wrong necessarily with this strategy, but just some of the motivations behind it is this idea that, oh, yeah, I think I want to buy, I want to buy to let property. I want to buy to let portfolio. Um, and sometimes when you drill down, and, and I've got this theory that some of it is down to the fact that it, it there is this external trappings of self-worth to say to somebody, yeah, I own four or five properties. It's far more exciting than saying, yeah, I have exactly the same value, but it just so happens to be in a pension fund. And, and I think sometimes it drives people's financial decisions. And they might absolutely despise being being landlords and all the hassle that comes with it. It works for some. I'm not suggesting for one moment if you are buy to let a uh, portfolio of any description is a bad thing. I'm not. It's just for some people, it's this idea to be able to say, yeah, I've got some properties. It's far more exciting. They said, yeah, I'm okay. I'm set up. I've got a pension fund. So maybe there's something there with a financial spin to it. And I'm also thinking of um, another guy I know who uh, many years ago, his business was about to go bankrupt. And I popped around to see him for a coffee just to give him some support, really. And there was a Ferrari in the driveway. And I kind of said to him, well, what's, what's, you, haven't, you haven't bought a Ferrari, have you? Because I knew that his business was literally just, a, he was about to close it down. Uh, and he just hired it for the weekend um, because he was going through a very difficult thing of everybody was going to be seeing that his business was about to go bust and his pride, his external pride was hurt and he wanted to be seen driving a Ferrari for a weekend. Um, I don't think that's going to bring him a great deal of well-being because 
this is what this is all about. Okay, we know from the podcast we've heard before with Professor Tim Kasser, episodes 42 and 46. Thank you, Tomo. That if you see money as the objective, that this is in contradiction with the sort of values that contribute to happiness. And it perfectly chimes with this notion of internal and external self-worth, that if you get your self-worth from money and what it brings, then it may well give you short-term or temporary joy, but it can be taken away from you, so it won't necessarily last. Okay, just hang on there one second, in case you think you're done, Mr. Bud. Now, you've because I'm a bit confused, you just told us external self-worth is transitory, or more accurately, the Dalai Lama's told us this, but he's also told us that internal self-worth is long-lasting and contributes to happiness. So I think we've understood that now. But how do we find... So I understand external self-worth, hire a Ferrari for the weekend. How do we find internal self-worth? Well, according to the Dalai Lama, the secret is very simple. Compassion, kindness to others, warm-heartedness. That's it? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, from my own experience as a financial planner for, yeah, getting on for quite a few years now um, and from speaking to many other financial planners with combined experience of helping hundreds, you know, if not thousands of clients, actually, I can say that people can reach some sort of financial independence do one of two main things. They do some travelling and they do something to help other people. They also very often end up with more money than they thought they needed. So what would be great is if people could spend a bit more time as they go through life and work out what makes them happy, including helping other people now. And therefore, you know, how much money they actually need is really important because it could find that they could help people now rather than waiting and waiting and waiting. So we've come back rather nicely, actually, to one of the, the well-worn, and I make no apologies for this, well-worn themes of this podcast, uh, which is, you know, that's what financial well-being planning is all about. But I think what we've also realised that clearly underneath all of this, we've really touched on it today, I think, in quite a moving way. You know, when we look at our feelings of self-worth uh, and the way it makes us feel, then that really is going to affect some of the judgments we make about how we help to plan not only our financial well-being, but our financial future. Exactly, David, as always, summarised brilliantly. Excellent. Well, listen, this has been a, a really enjoyable podcast. Is that the right word? It's certainly been very moving and very touching. Thanks to both of you for sharing. Thanks, Chris, for that lovely story about your dad, bless him. And I hope that you've all taken something away from this. Uh, I hope you'll find your own way of finding your inner self-worth and once you've done that, I hope you'll join us for another one in our series of financial well-being podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. 
Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think.